Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. Today, we have a fantastic conversation with Alex Absalom. He and his wife, Hannah, lead Dandelion Resourcing, in which they train and coach others to be disciple makers, to start and engage in missional communities, uh, and to be naturally supernatural, to be able to have healing and deliverance uh, and hearing God's voice. Uh, This is a a really good conversation and an important conversation for those of us uh, in the West to figure out how we can have an overflow of the Spirit, be empowered by the Spirit in everyday life, have natural conversations that lead to praying for others to see Jesus encounter people uh, in everyday life. It's a fantastic conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. So here is Alex. Alex, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, It's going to be a fun conversation. I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me on, Joshua. Yeah, yeah, it'll be be great. One of the things that I, I really want to know is when did your story intersect with a place of uh, actually practically living out your faith? You know, a lot of times when we live in the West in a Christian environment, we like to understand theology, understand the Bible, um, what it what it means, and we think about life with Jesus a lot, but we don't often engage in a practice of life with Jesus. And so when did that engagement of life uh, in community, making disciples, uh, really start in your life? Mm. Well, I wasn't raised in a Christian household, so I, mm. I was raised in a good, good pagan household. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I came to faith in my mid-teens and got discipled primarily at school. And I think there was a, it was a process. So I can remember being told, you read the Bible. So I started to read the Bible faithfully every day and reading the yeah. gospel and have my little Bible reading notes and reading about all the miraculous stuff. Mm. And I can remember going to older Christians and saying, I've been reading about all these miraculous <laughs> things. And it says we're meant to do them. So how do I find out how to do these things? I'd like to do it. <laughs> and you'd find people would kind of shuffle and look at their feet, yeah. <laughs> grunt and give really unsatisfactory answers. So it was this kind of, I think it was a bug the Lord put in my spirit. Mm. And then, um, in terms of the natural supernatural, it was when I was at college. So I had uh, a mono when I was mm. there and it kind of hung around for a little bit. And one day I was in the church service. So this is in England, obviously, but we had, I had an American pastor. And I had this thought like, oh, I ought to get Pastor Roger to pray for me. Mm. So I talked to him at the end of the service and he goes, well, yeah, why don't we meet up this week? So I go around and I was so excited because I thought I was going to discover like the ancient mystical prayer of how to pray for healing that yeah. had been passed by word of mouth from, you know, <laughs> through the generations all the way back to the apostles, the original 12 apostles. And so we sit in this room and we chat a bit and he goes, well, let's pray. And he, he like lays his hands on me and prays this clearly extempore prayer mm. and it finishes. And I'm like, all right, is that it? I mean, <laughs> there's something more here. And the strange thing was well, strange thing was that over the next two weeks, all my symptoms went away. Mm. I mean, it yeah. turned out healed. And then probably the, the kind of thing that kicked it on from there was I spent a long summer in South Africa. So this would have been 1990s. So apartheid still in force. Yeah. Nelson Mandela just been released from prison. It was working with a Christian agency called African Enterprise who started mm. doing evangelism in, in the cities of Africa, but they were doing 
great Bible teaching is beautiful base in, in um, near Peter Maritzburg, but also we're serving the poor. Yeah. Uh, secretly behind the scenes, they were facilitating, facilitating the peace process between mm-hmm. yep. be a transition of power. And also they're into signs and wonders. Wow. And so the first time I, that was really impacted, went with a guy who was an Indian uh, ethnicity, went to an Indian area in Durban because it was yep. obviously very, very segregated. Then. And he called me his little pink friend was how he did. <laughs> uh, but we went to the place and loads of, there was a little Indian church, but the lots of Hindu friends were coming in and they had this, these gatherings mm-hmm. this weekend, crazy busy. But I saw, um, first time I saw deliverance was there. So people mm-hmm. who had made yeah. vows to him, gods have those little orange strings around their wrist or whatever and when they tried to cut those off demons would manifest hmm. and uh we're watching healings happen right in front of our right in front of our rights that's some very dramatic healings take place and it was in the midst of that and all the kind of this broader context of what's going on there i felt the lord say to me um you're to go and do this in the west hmm. and it's this sense of how do we holistically live out the gospel so it's that yep. it, like you're saying in, in the setup it's the intro of we want to be about disciple making. So we do take, you know, spiritual discipline seriously. We want to read the Bible. We want to be people yep. in prayer. We've got to be on mission. We've got to reach the lost. And also we've got to do it in the power of the spirit. And it's where those three intersect, I think, is how you start to build kingdom yeah. culture. That's uh, that's beautiful. And how do we have that intersection between, yeah, that supernatural, the signs and wonders and the discipleship and, you know, mission. And as we're living that out, it's really important that that intersection happens. So as we're living into kingdom, that kingdom culture happens. What do you think uh, is the the results of of us living in kingdom culture to the culture around us? What is that result? Well, we're told to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it, it is something of heaven on earth now. So the things yep. we long for in the future. And I think there's a longing in everyone's heart. Obviously, as believers, we've got mm. clearer language for it. But I think m- most lost people have this sense of this is how things should be or what when it's broken, this is it shouldn't yeah. be like this. You know, I'm sure you've 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 taken funerals for people say a young person who dies of cancer or an accident and and everyone there whatever they believe is thinking this is not right yeah and there's something with us that's hardwired for that and so i think where we can start to minister out of that i think that's powerful so it it could be something very tangible like a healing or a deliverance or prophetic word it could be to do with social justice so and as we we live out the gospel lifestyle in our cultures yep. it could be you know where do, where do systems and structures need to be changed so i think it's different people have different callings within that don't they some people have right. incredible ministry serving the poor some it might be they know how to reach the the millionaires you know some it's just in my everyday neighborhood or i, I serve at the school and i make a difference but we're going i think it's almost like um so there's, there's these broader expressions we have which, you know, the seven mountains of culture and society, right. all those sorts of things we talk about. But I think each individual has to, uh, believer has to know in this season, who is the Lord placed in my hands right now, or as a household, where are we meant to be primarily on mission right yeah. now? Yeah, so, that's important. I, I think it's it's so important that we all play a part in it, and we do. How do we, how do we come together to see holistic change happen um, when we're all off doing our own little thing. Is there any sort of communication with one another so that we can see communities really transform from within? Mm. So the danger of us as Westerners is we tend to be very individualistic in how we process this. <laughs> right. So it's it's work and obviously, you know, as you know, we, we there's much we can learn from non-Western cultures and believers how they do this. Yep. So I think one of the things is how we do this in community. So how do we form communities on a common mission? Mm. So one of the things that we've seen work well is, you know, there's different language about missional communities or whatever, but it, house churches, but it's that sense of how do we form bands of believers who are committed to reaching a neighborhood or a network of, of people. Yep. And saying we we share this vision. So it's built, you know, there might be leaders who fire that up and fuel it and keep us pointed in the right direction. But it's it's saying, how how do we go and not just do it solo? Because I think when we do it solo, we do get picked off by the enemy. Yep. Um, 
So that's quite a countercultural thing, isn't it, for our culture, for how they do it in groups. Yeah. And have you seen that work well to have a communal culture in the West that we're doing this together? We have this common vision. We know, say, this neighborhood's our neighborhood. We're going to to really make a change here and we're doing it together. Have you seen that work well? Yes, we have. So something. Uh, so we, we came to the States in 2007 from England mm-hmm. and the, the, we we, we served in several churches where we were really called initially to help them develop this more missional culture, building communities yeah. on a common vision. So we've see, personally seen about 130 plus of these start and obviously helped other leaders do this in their context. Yep. So, and obviously varying degrees of competency and effectiveness. Uh, but so you've got, you've got the spectrum there. But I think if we can, and we're not the only people doing this, clearly lots of people are trying these right. things. But I think if, Yes, it does work. And it can actually be a lot of fun mm-hmm. doing it. Um, so so it's it's something we have to keep wrestling with. We have to keep working. I think it's going to keep evolving. It's going to, it's going to have to evolve now as we come out of COVID. Yep. It's going to look a bit different in the next few years. Uh, increasingly, you know, more, depending where you are, but the more post-Christian the culture, it looks a bit different. But I... I Yes, it works. Yes, it's happening in the West. I actually think in the more post-Christian context of the West, it's, it's going to be a vital tool. Yeah, to I think it'll be vital, but I think it actually might be easier uh, to yes. do it in a post-Christian world than it is in a in a Christendom world where everybody has a has a church. Everybody goes to the church down the block or something where this is a different paradigm. Um, and so I yes. think in a post-Christian world, we're going to look around and we're going to like, well, we have to do something. And what happened in the past isn't really working now. So what do we need to do? And we need to do something different. It's going to be helpful for us to move forward. Yeah. And it's, pardon me, it's, it's thinking, okay, what is good news in this context? Yeah. So as we try to reach this neighborhood or this elementary school or whatever it is, this college campus, uh, what does the kingdom coming look like? Mm-hmm. What would... Um, what would most impact people's hearts and lives that would draw them to Jesus in this place? And it's, right. it's working on those things, I think, is often a pointer. Do you have any good uh, good questions or entry points that you use in, in communities um, where you can find out what is good news for that area? It's, you, you look, the, 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 you're looking at where, what causes pain, Yep. So what are the things people are talking about that's, you can summarize, it's caused them pain. Uh, what do people celebrate? What do people rejoice in? That, that's a good mm-hmm. indicator. Yeah. Uh, you're looking at what do people spend their money on, mm-hmm. both good and bad. That can be a pointer. You're looking at who's got the power. So what are the levers of power and how's that being expressed or not? Ex- or, or, you know, is it functional? Is it dysfunctional? Yeah. What that looks like. So I think you're looking at, you're trying to do that, you know, missionary, the kind of basic missionary tools what's what's good what's not good what's working what's not working in this Mm -hmm. particular subculture yeah and that's helpful i mean i think we often think uh here in the west especially in an individualistic culture the good news of you know jesus dying for our sins that he's our our mediator before god that we now have this relationship with god um that is good news it's very true but Sometimes that's not going to hit everybody in the same way if that's the first entry point that we have. Sometimes Jesus wants to encounter somebody uh, in a different way that says, I'm good news for the specific situation that you're going through at the moment. Um, And so, you know, my wife and I lived in the Middle East uh, for a long time and we uh, worked with Syrian refugees. So if a Mm -hmm. refugee comes in and they're coming in from a war zone, you know, they've seen a lot of family members die. They've seen a lot of horrible, horrific things. Um, it's hard to say, well, what is good news in the in the middle of that? Um, but Jesus was hope for them. And so we often started with a story of something like Jesus calms the storm, where Jesus can start to calm the storm in their life. Um, and that started to open people up to say, oh, maybe Jesus is good news for the 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 storm that I'm going through in my life, um, and then they're they're willing to start to step forward into a Jesus conversation, and what does it look like uh, to bring hope? And so we saw that because we 
we ask people their story, we engage them on a specific level uh, in the living room, um, and we were able to say, hey, here is a, a story of Jesus that could help, or hey, you're, you know, you're sick, let's pray for a healing, or you need a refrigerator, let's pray that God will provide for you. There is all sorts of good news that really opens people up to more of a life and a hope uh, in Jesus. And that we find that found that really helpful uh, mm. to us. Mm. I love the way how you're anchoring that in scripture as well, where that's, you know, where you can authentically do that. And that that's yeah. really powerful too, isn't it? That kind of brings that alive, helps people encounter Jesus in the Bible. And, um, and, and the, what I hear you say is a phrase that we use a lot, which is we'd say, can I pray for you? Mm, yeah. So so many situations, we could, and it could be difficult. Like you, the, what you described there, those poor folks coming out yep. of Syria, just unbelievable devastation and awfulness. Um, but it could be to someone's in a, is equally a good thing happening. You've got a right. brand new baby, you know, you, you coo and are, but also it's, I, it's great to say, hey, this might sound, crazy but i would love to just pray god's blessing on your baby would it, yeah. just pray for your baby pray god to bless your child i mean you've got to be a pretty militant atheist to not want that so <laughs> I, you know it could be just a real simple thing like that through to i'm mean, obviously what you're you know wife yep. experience extreme thing but there's still you know the same principles apply don't they which is yep. i think one one things we talk about is um we have to um operate like spiritual people mm-hmm. and i think too often yep. Christians don't want to operate as spiritual people. We want to operate yeah. with resources as the world. It's and we do have those resources. And, uh, <laughs> no. But it's crazy because, you know, I, I think, uh, I think we, we need to operate like, we need, so we need to be outed as followers of Jesus. And yeah. also we need to trust that our non-Christian friends like the fact that we're spiritual people. Yeah. So they like the fact that we're a little bit different. And it might be, you know, we might be curious and we might be a bit eccentric in their eyes. But they also, I just believe that I accept them for who they are. And they accept me for who I am. And part yeah. of who I am is I'm a Jesus follower. So if you're sick, I'm going to offer to pray for you. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, yeah, be stressed. Exactly. And I think that's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in, in these places where we're, we're on mission. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend that, that says you want to be spiritually obvious without being spiritually obnoxious. And I think that uh, <laughs> that's really? part of what, what you talk about as being naturally supernatural, that you want to be spiritually obvious, right? But you don't want to be obnoxious to turn people away, turn people off. But people are attracted to that. They're spiritual people. Every, every single person is a spiritual person and they have a spiritual need and a desire that they want to engage with. And so really... Our job is to let people know that we're safe to approach and talk to about spiritual things. I found it, I find it so much more difficult to talk to people about spiritual things in the West than I do in the Middle East with Muslims. Every other sentence has God in it when you're talking to a Muslim, right? It's very easy and simple to talk to them about spiritual things. It just invades their whole conversation. And so what are some of the what are some of the tricks and the tools that you use to really engage people in a natural way in spiritual conversation and spiritual things? One way we describe this is we think of a manual gear stick on a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so we so, so the six gears say on that and the reverse. So we think of different gears in the conversation. So first gear is casual conversation hey how are you sport weather job whatever that's fine we all need to do that stuff uh second gear is is a meaningful conversation so that's we start to get a bit nosier Uh, i think we're meant to be nosy in conversations and it's really about the why and the what questions oh that's interesting so it sounds like you're really good at your job what is it about you that makes you so good as a teacher Hmm. or uh, tell me a bit more you mentioned about it's been stressful the kids going back to school what is it that you're most concerned about as your kids go back to school yeah so you just ask great open thoughtful questions and i think you keep pushing until someone really resists mm-hmm. but you ask you're having meaningful conversations most people don't even have meaningful conversations right and then the shift from meaningful is so to third gear is spiritual conversation and that's some stuff we you've just been yeah. talking about, you know which i think you know summary phrase would be can i pray for you but it's some sort of sense of how does Jesus want to intercept them there. And then the fourth gear is where you start to move to a salvation conversation. Not that every time you have to download the whole thing or right. they're necessarily pray to 
they're necessarily going to pray and receive Christ in a moment, but you have a serious, we have a, a conversation where you talk about what it means to follow Jesus and yep. you know, invite them to consider that or whatever. Yeah. And then two more gears, which are kind of post when you, well, not post, but when you really are committed to Christ, so it's maturity conversation is fifth gear. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a leadership conversation. Mm-hmm. And, but we have to remember in any of these, uh, there's always reverse and the other person <laughs> can reverse out at any point. Yeah. And also with gears, sometimes you have to drop down a gear. If you think of driving a car, sometimes you have to drop down a gear to get the revs up, to get up the hill yep. or to get start if you've had to stop at some traffic lights. So sometimes it might be you drop down and have a little laugh about something mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah. whatever, yeah. talk about the food. Um, and that's okay. But I think what I've noticed with a lot of Christians is they try and go from first gear to fourth gear. Yeah. And if you do that in a car, even first to third, uh, what happens is um, you get a massive kangaroo effect and everyone gets whiplash. And it's if the car doesn't completely stall, it's incredibly noisy and disruptive. Yeah. So we need to, I think as Christians, we need to, to allow us to go through those processes and work mm. at which you don't naturally go to and really be disciplined about stepping into that. That's so good. Um, so it's things like it's thinking in those ways, just kind of breaking it down for folks who are trying to lead into these things and say, okay, as you think about your friends, what does that look like? Mm. So I think we do that. Another paradigm we talk about is um, uh, we need to start with prayer. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how few Christians actually pray for their lost friends. Yeah. Um, so we need to be praying. And so the way we would just describe it, I th- uh, the phrase that we've taught our folks is we say, who are your three? So who yeah. are three people in your place of mission who are currently lost? You pray for by name every single day, yeah. you know, many days as you can remember. Um, so I've got three guys who live on my street, which is our mm. primary place of mission. Hannah, my wife's got three women on our street. She's praying. We pray for them by name. And then the other half of praying, I think that's really easy. We can get people doing is prayer walking because it yeah. changes the spiritual atmosphere in the place. So, we, you know, you start with prayer. And the second thing we'd say after that is as you're praying, uh, the word we use is parties. So what does it look like to build community in your place of mission? Yep. So that's what parties represent. Now, a party could be just two people having a cup of tea, or it could be, you know, a household comes down for dinner, or it could be you do a big thing in your backyard, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. So you, and again, it's going to be defined by your context, what's, what's appropriate. So it, and, and really what you're doing in those spaces is you're, you're, building community you become a hub of activity you do get favor we've noticed that we've been very intentional during covid to to do that in our context mm-hmm. we were doing it before but we've really pushed into it and uh we know we've got we've heard enough stories back now that people really view us uh with a lot of kindness and favor mm. we've got a bunch of yeah. orthodox Jews in our street and they think we're great even <laughs> though they're very separatist yep. generally as a right. subculture um but I think that kind of how do you build community? And then the context of you building community, you're looking for the ones who are your people of peace, yep. um, who are they, they like how Jesus looks in you. And so you're looking for those and they're the ones you're particularly going to invest into. And, you know, you hopefully you move to a place where you can do the can I pray for you sort of conversations. So, yeah. I, so something we'd say to, to churches sometimes, if you just, if you as a community did the praying, the parties and looking for your people of peace, do that consistently for one year. So all you want you to do and see what happens. Yeah. I think we often in the West, we, we miss that first part uh, and second part of praying and then your parties is that, that building of the community uh, in your area, because we're so individualistic in the West that we don't have community. Um, so we often, you know, you know we, we teach a lot about disciple-making movements, church planning movements, and we talk about the person of peace. Um, and in places where there's already an established community, that's the first place we we go to is the personal peace. But we actually have to step back here in the West and we have to build community first um, because we don't have a community for the gospel to actually flow through um, because it's not built yet. So I think that's brilliant to be able to go and help people to understand that building community in an area that you live and you work and you play is really crucial. And uh, something that we have to walk in and we have to start to do that with other people. We have to bring others along so that that community can be built. And so, like, for example, in our street in in Kansas City, where we have, you know, I go to a church where three, three times a month we meet in homes. Then we have a large gathering once a month. So we... We're in my home primarily most of the, most of the time, and so we've built this community where people down the street 
have noticed and and we have had people on on the street come to to church we've had c- people come down and ask for prayer um, for things that they've going through um, yeah. and we've had people come and bring us food there's all sorts of things that have started to happen the people yeah. have gotten on a text chain and I and it's because I think we've all we've been people that are spiritually obvious in our neighborhood and those people that want that and are attracted to that are coming out of the woodwork in our community and it's not just people going into their dra- into their garages and then not seeing each other for the rest yeah. of the day mm-hmm. yes i love that that's so cool yeah and i think with um like you say w- w- like you've done i'm not as extreme as you going to the middle east obviously but so in england and the us we've we've moved quite a few times so we've always so- started praying who are our people of peace lord yeah. in the new plan and all that stuff and i agree i think we're seeing more and more there's this uh, you have to even someone who's spiritually open to you and has the marks of a person of peace so many of them don't actually have a community around them exactly yeah so we start to form communities for folks to allow the gospel to transfer so yeah and i think the more so we live in los angeles now and it's, we're having lived in oklahoma city in northeast ohio so we've lived in different parts <laughs> of the u.s but a little different very different yeah. <laughs> yeah. came from england to, to, to oklahoma for two, we thought it was two years for a bit of cross-cultural experience so <laughs> there it, it was cultural, you know yeah <laughs> we loved it actually hello okies we loved oklahoma we love it love it um it was so warm and fun and, and delightful but it was very different which is which is awesome and actually i'm glad we had that we basically we're glad we had living this because i think yeah. if it comes to la it's too it's more like europe so sometimes it was less stretching yeah but Somewhere like LA, it's it's there's such a lack of community. Mm-hmm. It's, been, it's been incredible to see. So you really have to work hard at that. And yeah. Now the good news, of course, is the bar is so low. Anything you do makes you look like a genius in the community, <laughs> in your neighborhood, or, or your school, or whatever it is. But um, yeah, I think people don't know how to do the community piece. We're so yeah. fragmented in the culture. Yeah. That's important. You know, if you know, living in the Middle East, we we saw a lot of things happen. We saw a lot of dreams of Jesus. We saw, you know, we saw mutes and people start to speak again. We saw a lot of, you know, healing of cancer um, and a lot of provision, a lot of signs and wonders, things that are are naturally happening in that area. I mean, it didn't happen every day, but it probably did somewhere every day, just not in our, you know, sphere. Um, So we often, why do you think that primarily people don't notice it happening in the West? I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. I'm just saying people don't notice it happening in the West. I like the way you frame that question. I wonder if it's to do with um, persistent expectancy. <laughs> so I think if we want to step into that more naturally supernatural, being empowered by the spirit, yeah, we need to come with a, with a, a solid expectancy or faith yeah. that when we pray, God is a good God. He's not in a bad mood. He does like to heal or answer prayer or bring peace to those friends, those folks you were talking about in yeah. the refugee camp or, or whatever it is, you know, that there's a, we can list the range of things that we're not having to prize them out of his grip or something. Yeah. He wants to give these things more than we do. He hates cancer more than we do, et cetera. Yeah. So, and also we have this faith that when we pray, we really can start to access some of the resources of heaven. Mm. So there's a, there's a high faith quotient. And clearly Jesus talks about faith a great deal. Somewhere yeah. in the equation, faith has to come in, whether it's the one who needs the thing or it's the one praying or their family member or the community. There is this faith piece. And then, but there's also a persistence piece. And so it's something about, now sometimes we get the immediate breakthrough, like you know, like you just described. And sometimes yep. we pray a hundred times to get the breakthrough. Hmm. And I th- I wonder if, Part of the problem is we, it's almost it's to do with the quality of our faith. We don't persist hmm. in things. We're not willing to fight the fight. Whereas I want, you can, you can answer this bit. I don't know whether it'd be true to say that folks in non-Western nations, because they are more obviously materially needy as a, as a rule, right. they're more willing to persist and to fight for it. Whereas for us, we're, we're so kind of pampered and spoiled in the West as a rule. Right. Not everyone, but generalizing, I wonder if we just don't know the disciplines of persistence. Mm. We're just too comfortable. Um, yeah. 
you know, it's even little things like I remember with we've got three sons who are now young adults, but I remember when they were little, we from almost from, well from the get go, we we did the we pray for you when someone's you know you have the bump or the boo boo or whatever it is when you're two and a half years old. Yeah. So we'd try and start with prayer rather than you know mm. the whatever the medicine would be. So, but I think most of us don't do that. Yeah. You know, we don't start with prayer. Yeah. We go straight to the medicine. We have. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is we actually because. You know, we grow up in such a scientific uh, worldview of saying whatever is observable and whatever we can see and whatever we can test and verify is what is true and real. And yeah. so when we're in, say, the the excluded middle part where we have this supernatural world where we can't always see it physically and touch it and feel it and test it, um, we often ignore it. Um, And so because we ignore it, we don't go to it. Um, We go straight to what we already know. Um, And so, you know, I know in in a lot of places that that middle part is, it drives them into uh, their behavior of how they even act and interact in the world. Uh, You know, they believe that you know, spirits are in control of this or that. So they're going to make sure that their house is in a particularly way. Um, It just really depends on on their behavior because they know that this excluded middle, the spiritual world, actually is real. Um, And so they go, go directly there right away. And we don't in the West because we just go into what is observable. Um... And so I think that persistence, um, you know, for me, because I've seen some of it, I've seen some healing, I've seen some of this supernatural, I've actually observed it myself, I feel like I have more faith for it. Exactly. Uh, And some people haven't observed it. And so when they live in that scientific worldview, um, they're not going to persist. I I think also it's, I I agree with everything you just said, I think also it's, it's we as Christians or we as churches, part of the, our failure of discipleship is we haven't taught folks that we are meant to be, that there is, that I agree, the excluded middle concept, you know, that there are, right. there's the supernatural stuff that's kind of bubbling away in people, but they don't almost have language or framework for it. So they come up with all sorts of hocus pocus nonsense. <laughs> but actually, uh, I think we as believers need to step into that space rather than being afraid of it and running away. Yeah. Which is, you know, to us, what most evangelical do and i'm an i'd say i'm an evangelical theologically but we need to be spirit empowered and not be afraid to go to those places so a good example i think is before all our eyes right now which is halloween yeah so you know we we know what actually if we stop and think what it actually is about it's a it's a horrendous festival it's absolutely i mean totally demonic yeah um but i think it's it's an interesting one in that I think it's an opportunity to have spiritual conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that's been on my mind to do, which kind of I think is going to be once a bit clear of COVID, is I would like to start offering spiritual house cleansings mm-hmm. in our community. Because we've had that happen a few times with neighbours. People say, I've got this, like, I'm, I'm literally one of our next door neighbours, uh, they went away on vacation, they had us look after that, you know, keep an eye on the house, water the plants. And the woman who, loved, who she's not yet a believer, but she's, very spiritual and she's one of the people of peace for hannah and she said to all she says really casually as she's leaving she says oh what so when you're in the house if you feel like praying in my daughter's bedroom it feels quite dark in there that would be great mm-hmm. so so we go in there and we did pray and uh, there's a whole backstory there but when they came back from vacation she said oh she says hannah well you prayed didn't you and i said yes we did actually she says i could feel the difference wow and I th- we've seen that happen lots of times. So I think there's something is finding the hooks into our community yeah. where we can be, again, out of disbelievers, we can be overtly spiritual in ways that start to touch upon some of their felt needs. Mm. That's um, so good. Where are the edges where people open? And if you look at the the, the fascination with horror and with, mm-hmm. you know, dark stuff and the novels that lots of particularly, you know, adolescents are reading or that there's a lot that, this stuff isn't just there because people go, oh, it's, 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 you know, it's just a bit of fun. Right. It's more than just, it's more than just a variation of Star Wars or something. It's, I think people recognize enough people who mess with it realize there's something there. 
Yeah. And I think we have, we clearly do have a message that starts to respond mm-hmm. to that and helps explain it, but also can deal with it as well. Mm-hmm. So I think we as believers need to step into the greater confidence in those moments mm-hmm. of responding well. Yeah. You know, as thinking about Halloween, I'm, I'm thinking a, a little bit right now, I'm thinking about my four-year-old son. Um, but having a, a four-year-old reminds me that he wants to talk about spiritual things. He has a spiritual curiosity from a very young age. Uh, you know, he, you know, a lot of times he's he's thinking, he's having dreams. What does this dream mean? He's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe having a vision or something where he gets scared. But he wants to talk about spiritual things. Um, and he knows, so from the very beginnings of our life, we're very much spiritual people and engaged in that spiritual world. Why do you think we lose some of that um, in the West growing up? It's it's a culture that doesn't value the non-rational. Um, so like mm-hmm. you were describing it. So I remember having a conversation with one of my neighbors who's an atheist Indian rocket scientist. <laughs> And uh, so he's actually got more cultural Hinduism than he lets on. But we used to go out and have a have a beer and, and debate. He loved debating it. We really, you know, it was we had great conversations. But I remember talking about the healing thing, like you mentioned yeah. earlier, you know, miraculous. And this was, in, I told him the story of someone, a, a young woman, you know, a church planter, and she'd had multiple cirrhosis. And she, uh, we were part of a group praying for her and, she got completely healed and the doctors have no medical explanation for how, cause it's not something it physically yeah. can't go into remission. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. what happened. So, and we'd seen, we've seen that disease heal before with, with some, another person in the church back in England. So, and he, his response is, well, it was, it was long life. It's, it's um, unless I can see that repeated in a science lab, a hundred times out of a hundred, I'm not going to believe in it. Hmm. So, you know, then I did the old kind of classic, I said, well, prove to me that your wife loves you. And, you know, of course you can't because it's a different start of different type of knowledge. It's not a scientific knowledge. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a relational knowledge. And I think it's, so I think often our, our popular culture at one level and the way we're educated is, is so um, it claims it's scientific. I don't think it's that scientific half the time, but it's, it's very trivial <laughs> things. Yeah. Uh, but we, we need to be not unwilling to push back on that and equip our kids how to view things, how to process stuff mm-hmm. and how to um, spot the moments where we can challenge that prevailing narrative. Yeah. Uh, because actually, like we're saying, I think there's a heck of a lot of people who are really, who do think there's a spiritual realm yeah. and they are open to this stuff. They're not quite sure how to access it. They don't like the church. They don't like religious hypocrisy and so on. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're not open to the spiritual. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I have some friends that uh, were up in Portland uh, this summer, and you know that's probably one of the most post-Christendom places in the U.S. Um, at the moment. Um, and he, my friend, was saying that I'd never, I didn't even ha- try to have Jesus conversations, but people were just giving their lives to Jesus. It just naturally came up because people are naturally spiritually curious. Um, in that place, and they they have such a a yearning in their soul for a an answer in that spiritual part of their life, um, mm-hmm. and so I think you're right. People are open to it, and I think people are are willing to engage that. I think that in my experience in church in the West, a lot of the church um, is afraid to engage in those conversations. Oh, yeah. with people in a in a spiritual time and place. And I think, you know, Jesus himself, um, when he went into a a place that we would think would defile us, you know, mm-hmm. he wasn't defiled, you know, mm-hmm. but people were cleansed and they were whole um, mm-hmm. and they were healed in the middle of, of darkness, right? Mm-hmm. He brings light into the darkness. Um, which disperses the darkness. We often think that the darkness is going to invade us um, and infiltrate us, so we don't want to engage in something that is not of the light. Mm. Yes, it's interesting. So where we are in, 
it, we live in Long Beach, South Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a place that's uh, got a very large um, homosexual population. Yeah. That's one of the first. Uh, it's got a very large gay pride festival, and it was one of the first areas where the AIDS uh, kind of was was seen and and was a big issue. First clinic in town was a Christian clinic, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we know a number of couples. We've got to know there's there's a there was a couple of guys they've, they've moved now, but um, couple, two doors down, we became really close friends with them. Just delightful, really mm-hmm. great yeah. guys, really fun. We love being with them. They loved us. They knew what, what they knew. We were believers. Um, you know, they knew that we, we, we worked in churches and did stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, I'm sure they would have known what we thought theologically, perhaps, but we just loved them and were mm. kind to them yeah. and enjoyed them as friends. Because at the end of the day, conviction is not, I don't have to convict them. That's Jesus's right. problem to sort out. It's not my yeah. problem to solve. So I'm just going to love them like I'm told to do and wait for the opportunities. And then one of them, um, one of the guys had, had, uh, cancer it was actually it was a treatable form fortunately but um so obviously we wanted to serve them and love them and you know but um interestingly i felt god put in my heart to get them a peace lily and i couldn't find a peace lily so i got another lily and i took it around i said this is meant to be a peace lily they don't have peace lilies in the store but this is a peace lily so what you do is put it in your living room and every time you either of you feel anxiety or worry or fear about what's going to happen I want you to look at this and know that jesus loves you and he's going to see you through this hmm. so it became like a, a sacrament almost yeah. in the a physical manifestation of something spiritual and um it was interesting it uh, and obviously we did serve them and did some stuff for them but they said in a number of cases the thing that they most appreciated about us was that we were praying for them and then out of that, we ended up having some very profound, like really deep spiritual conversation about some of their history and, you know, sexual identity and so on. Um, and they were very, very open and, and vulnerable. And then it was interesting what they, they moved away because of work. And um, on the last day for them, one of the guys had moved ahead last one was back in the house. So his last in city, we said, well, can we throw you a party, get some of the neighbors around? He didn't want to do that. He said, I want to go out for dinner with you, you two. Hmm. So dinner, and on the way when we get back to the house he's never forget this he stood on our front doorstep and he pointed at me and he and he said you have incredible power and he pointed at her and said you hmm. too you've amazing power wow and it was his way of trying to say there's something that he'd seen in us that represent he was he meant spiritually yeah in terms of what was going on and you know i think i think you know as we're trying to reach marginalized communities or communities who the church hasn't done a great job of reaching mm-hmm. there's ways of doing that where we can go at peace with who we are mm-hmm. like you don't have to yep. water down the gospel yeah or, or, or our ethics or whatever the thing is but we don't have to go and whack people either to prove that the world we're we're right. theologically correct um and we could just be you know you know Jesus models it for goodness sake. And he, he's the one who's accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. I don't think Jesus was a drunkard, but he was accused of that because he was obviously hanging out with drunkards mm. and able to be there. So there's this tension of, um, it's this good little kind of matrix thing we draw, which is this distinct, we, we wrestle with being um, highly, highly distinctive, which is the call to holiness, but also highly connected, which is we build relationships. So we want to be the ones who, who uh, our neighbours will say, I'd love to hang out with, Josh, he's great. He's so cool. He's such a laugh. We want to be liked like that. But yeah. also, we know we're meant to carry something different for Jesus. And I think we can hold those two things create creative tension. I think what most people do is they, they won't live in that tension mm. where things yeah. are going to be messy and mucky and it's not going to be ideal solutions. I remember in um, one church we were in, um, we were seeing some real fruit in our missional communities. And there was uh, uh, two ladies who were a lesbian couple, they had several children uh, by adoption and another child was, was that one that was pregnant through artificial insemination. And they started to come to one of the missional communities. They got just loved really well. They really enjoyed going there. Um, and they were just able to just to be, just to belong before they had to believe or behave. And they were, they were loved and, and they started to encounter Jesus. So uh, one day, one of their, they had one daughter who was like nine or 10. She comes home from school and says, um, something like, mummy, what are you, what's a lesbian? And the yeah. mother says, where'd you hear that? And she's heard it at school and someone says, that's what you are. Mm-hmm. So they have this conversation and 
she's but then she goes the the, the the woman says well you know that we've been going to um the the, the missional community the group she says yeah she said well we've, we've been encountering jesus there and actually mummy and i we we believe that jesus is saying um he wants us to live a purer lifestyle so we're not going to live so basically they were choosing to live a celibate lifestyle hmm. afterwards um so they were really making journey they're on the journey yeah. and their baby was there and they wanted to dedicate the baby. So we did a baby dedication thing in the service. And, um, uh, it, and there was a number of other couples, you know, and then there's this lesbian couple there dedicated to their baby. And there were a couple of interesting, several, two, two households in particular, um, not old houses, people in their thirties, early thirties. And they were furious that we dedicated that baby. Yeah. Really angry. And I, so I said, well, look, there's a whole backstory here, which we didn't say publicly because we're not exposing people like that. Right. And the bar for dedic- baby dedication is not super high. Um, you know, and there's going to be other couples. Just because they're a heterosexual couple doesn't mean there was an issue with rampant greed or right. anger or whatever. Yeah. It's just you're not seeing it. Um, but this this guy said to me, um, he said, well, you did the wrong thing. I said, well, what would you have done? He said, I would have told them, you two have got to separate. You've got to go and find each find a husband and when you've got a husband, come back and bring your baby, then we'll dedicate it. Hmm. And I'm like, mate, it's just, it's, I know that's the, that might be the ideal, but it's just, when we're dealing with people far from Christ, we, you can't start from that place of perfection. Yeah. It's just how it is. They've got a massive history, and we have to work with where they are, not where, they are, where hmm. the ideal is. And the problem with being on mission is it's just very messy, and we have these complex things where we're trying to hold that tension of being, Yes, we have to be a distinctive community. We're called to be a holy community, but also we're called to be intensely welcoming yeah. and inclusive as well. And how you hold those two things, don't slip into being liberalism where it's just inclusive or being Pharisees where it's all about the holiness. We have to do both simultaneously. And we're going to get it wrong sometimes. We know that. But I think there's there's something there we have to wrestle with and fight with. Yeah, Fight for it, brother. That's so good. Thank you. That's great. Um, just a, a couple of questions I like to ask. One is, uh, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, uh, what advice would you give? I think live more comfortably with some of the paradoxes of following Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. I think when you're 21, you kind of, well, not every 21, but I think I was... <laughs> um, you know, I had a theology degree. I kind of felt like I knew a lot of the answers. Yeah. And and that, again, I could you could do that without. I'm not wishy washy, liberal and loads of stuff. But I think there's a sense of, you know, it's like the bigger the circle of knowledge, the greater the the, the circumference of what you don't know. Yeah. So there's things where we have to live in that tension. So there's mm. there's a paradox to following Jesus. We have to learn to live with. Yeah, I think that's such great advice and good to be able to live in that paradox. Um, and then uh, anything you've been reading or watching lately that you could recommend? Uh, we, well, have, well, obviously the new James Bond movie, because I'm English, so I have to recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was, oh, anyway, no spoilers. That was very No good. spoilers. Well, I won't, won't say anything. It was good. It was really good. It was so good. Go see it. Yeah. We did a nice job of rounding out that arc of the last four or five movies. Yeah. We've, we've been reading... Um, uh, a lot just going back to books around the natural supernatural so just trying to read a lot around those areas i th- um we're, we're, we're trying to write books in that area as well but um you know some of the old classics going back to john wimber and Derek yeah. prince on deliverance and and those sorts of things um uh, i think i think we need to keep getting the inputs into ourselves to keep being refreshed keep being keep thinking in these ways how do we how do we really work on developing this naturally supernatural lifestyle? Yeah, um, and there are there's there's good stuff out there, but we have, I think, too often we kind of get a certain level of competence and think we then kind of think we've got it, whereas right. I think there's was more to learn and to grow into. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. Um, so you have a lot of uh, a lot of training, coaching that you could have people engaged in. Uh, how can they engage some of the training and coaching that you do? So we have a website and it's dandelionresourcing.com. So dandelion uh, uh, as in, you know, the flower, which becomes yeah. a bunch of seeds. And at the, that 
So that came from a picture that the Lord gave Hannah, which is, you know, imagine the seeds and they're, they're blown by the wind of the spirit and they can scatter anywhere. And even get into a little nook or cranny, a crack in the concrete, pop down a root, up comes mm. a stalk, there's a yellow flower, there's seeds and it multiplies. And there's something very lightweight and spirit blend that we're meant to be about as we go with the gospel. It's not yeah. meant to be a hugely complex thing. So that's why it's dandelion resourcing. And if you go there, there's a bunch of stuff. There's free stuff and there's information about some of the cohorts and, and coaching that we do. So that would be a good place to check us out. Great. So check it out. Check out Dandelion Resourcing. Um, and I think you'll be the better for it. So engage with Alex and Hannah in what they do. Um, and, you know, I just wanted one of the things I wanted to touch on that we didn't have time for is just just working uh, and living with your wife um, and leading and coaching and training with her. Um, I do the same thing with my wife. We're co-executive directors at All Nations, and we we do a lot of training together. Um, and for so, I would have really enjoyed talking to somebody else that does. I don't get to meet too many people mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. actually have that kind of a relationship with uh, with their spouse. Um, so, hopefully, it is uh, as rewarding for you as it is for me. I love it, and I think it's. It's fun to be able to do stuff together, obviously, as a couple. I think Hannah impacts different people differently to how I do. And it just makes it makes it way richer. And she'll think about things a little differently, uh, which is so good. So, you know, I'm a bit more hard charging. So one of the disciplines I (laughs) I had to learn earlier on was to slow down and let Mm. her have room to breathe and to contribute. And that's been such a such a rewarding thing to do. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. It was just a a great conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show. And just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.